Well, good morning, everyone uh, from here in London. Today, I'm delighted to introduce another FS Club webinar, What's the Gap Basis Chance in the Age of Parametric Insurance? And presenting today is Henri uh, Winon, who is uh, the CEO. Now, uh, you'll know me. I'm Michael Minelli. I'm one of the directors of Zien. And it really is a privilege to be able to introduce uh, this, these uh, various webinars that we're holding. Uh, and I can only really do so because uh, of the generosity of our sponsors who allow us to range widely and freely across technology, economics, and finance. So it, it really is a genuine pleasure to be here. Um, I will just uh, introduce you briefly to today's agenda, which is uh, very straightforwardly. We're going to, I'm going to get out of the way and let you hear from the expert as quickly as possible. Uh, Dr. Winnell will be uh, speaking for approximately 20 to 25 minutes, and then we will go into a question and answer session. Probably the most important thing for me to ask you is to please uh, send questions to me via the GoToWebinar question facility, uh, and I will feed them into the conversation with uh, Henri. Uh, if you email me or text me or WhatsApp me or any of the various thousands of ways of getting hold of me, that's very kind. Uh, but I'm here with you at the moment, so I won't get them till afterwards. So please do send the questions through the GoToWebinar facility. And finally, a word of warning for those of you. Um, one of the great things about FS Club is you're very fast on the buzzers. Uh, Henri has a few poll, three polls, actually, uh, of questions he'd like to ask you. So uh, with that, you've got all the details online. The slides will be posted uh, afterwards, uh, and the recording will be up in a couple of days. Um, and I would basically like to say, Henri, the floor is yours. Thank you, Michael, and uh, thank you to you and the FS Club for inviting me today. So it's a real pleasure to be here. Um, so uh, what's the gap uh, and, and really basis chance, but of course the other side is basis risk and, and how to look at that through the lens of parametric insurance. And before that, just a very quick introduction. I'm Henri Winam, the CEO and co-founder of Akinova. Akinova is a marketplace. Uh, it's unique in that it is neutral, regulated, and digital first marketplace, and it operates at the intersection between capital market and insurance. And you'll see that theme throughout the presentation as well. And it's really to transfer and trade insurance risk. Uh, and it's where capital can meet insurance, reinsurance, and insurance linked securities risk directly within a regulated environment, but animated by data driven brokers and powered by insights from third-party data analytics providers. Next slide. So if you look at uh, some of the challenges of uh, to the insurance uh, industry in general, is that certainly if you look at this uh, chart from McKinsey over the last year or thereabouts, uh, the returns, uh, the shareholder returns compared with other industry segments hasn't been the most stellar. Now, some people would argue that as uh, the market is hardening uh, and there is some evidence of that and premium therefore can go up, profitability will, will increase, but at this point in time, it continues to be a challenge. Next slide. So what I'm going to ask you is to rank what do you think are the, uh, the, the biggest issues uh, in reinsurance? And some would say maybe there are no issues, but let's uh, pick a, a few of those. Is it low interest rate? Is it profitability, low growth? Is it the perceived uh, product value proposition and so forth? And so I would ask you to take a view as to what you think the issues are. Next slide. So folks, if you uh, would just uh, briefly uh, summarize what you think is there. Um, as ever, uh, FS Club members are very quick uh, with their decision making. We're nearly up to half the audience having 
voted. Now we're well past that. And I will close the poll in just a few seconds as we're up to well over 80% now, 90%. Great. So uh, we'll share the results with you. So uh, pre pretty strongly on there about the different risks accelerating a growing insurance and reinsurance gap, Henri. Back to you. So that's fantastic, actually. Um, so thank you for the audience to, to be so prompt on the uh, on the button there. So if we look at the next slide, uh, insurance in, in traditionally, you would think it's actually reasonably simple. Uh, I'm going to make sure that I've got my premium exceeding my losses or my claims. And then, of course, I'll have an investment income. But of course, the investment income is challenged. And you can see that with a very low interest rate uh, compared to uh, what has been happening historically. Next slide. And, and actually, it is not just the underwriting, so picking the right risk that's important, which is uh, reflected in the combined ratio there, but it's also the lost uh, adjustment expenses, uh, which has been creeping up uh, over the last, together with the industrial loss of the last uh, 10 years. And that is uh, a traditional insurance policy, an indemnity policy, uh, indemnifies you for the losses you've actually incurred. And of course, you need someone, typically a loss adjuster, to go and check uh, what, uh, what you've said, uh, you've lost and, and say whether or not it was true. Um, and as industri the industry tries to digitize that process, of course, is to reduce the cost, but uh, so far that hasn't fed through. Um, and, and growth is not easy. This is an industry which typically and historically, uh, premium growth has been in lockstep with GDP growth. And then the final thing in general for the existing uh, indemnity and the industry in, in existing industry structure, uh, actually, supply of capital has been plentiful, and therefore it's been difficult to increase prices as well. Next slide. Now, there is a tremendous opportunity for the industry as a whole to grow substantially is because risks are, have become more dynamic than ever. Um, so if today you have a focus of the industry largely on, on tangible assets, and the tangible assets, let's say a building, uh, hopefully the value of that building doesn't change uh, the whole day long, and therefore, and, and also it has a physical presence, and therefore there's a recourse to that. But if you start to think about cyber risk, and if you start to think about, for instance, intangible assets, the, for instance, the, the intangible assets for corporates um, are basically valued in the market the whole day long uh, in stock exchanges. And, and of course, the, the variability of those uh, combined, for instance, with cyber risk, when you can have a cyber storm 24-7-365, not just like normal storms that you would have, which are seasonal. Therefore, the variability and the dynamism of those risks requires essentially a, a, a transfer mechanism, but also the right capacity. Next slide. And some of these risks are also coming together and aggregating in such a way that they become more systemic. Next slide. Well, if you remember, for instance, 737 MAX 8, uh, which is just coming back into service now, it was a piece of software and a small piece of hardware deployed across an entire fleet, which basically stopped a chunk of uh, operation for a very large Boeing, uh, uh, a large manufacturing Boeing, created crashes and a whole load of turmoil associated with that. And the more you have, if you think about all of us have PCs operating on, on, on mostly the same operating system, you have a potential for aggregation, but also there's a potential for looking at diversification very differently. If you think about uh, property catastrophe, of course, climate resilience has continued to increase and the protection gap has continued to increase. So the 
inshore versus an inshore gap has continued to increase. And if you think about cyber risk, that is something that is gathering pace. And uh, as was actually noted uh, uh, over the last few days by the CEO of Marsh, one of the largest brokers in the world, uh, before COVID-19, maybe cyber risk wasn't the biggest exposure. Post-COVID-19, it certainly is. And then there is a last, a small issue at there, which is there's about $26 trillion worth of corporate assets, which are uninsured, which are intangible assets. Next slide. Now, this one is quite an important one, which is the perceived or the real information gap between the insurer, so the cover buyer, if I can put it like this, or the risk seller, and then the capital provider on the other side. And that information gap is a business dictionary uh, a gap uh, insofar as insurance uses quite a lot of jargon, like most industries, but also the availability of the insurance and the availability of the data and the availability of the information and the interpretation of the wording means that the cost of analyzing uh, and putting capital to work against uh, an insurance contract requires some work. Next slide. And if you look at it from the protection seller, whether it's be capital market or an insurer or reinsurer, um, particularly those who are more on the capital uh, markets end, uh, they have uh, far more information available in terms of uh, uh, reports written about companies. But also they have, uh, 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 for the last 25 years, started to talk directly, capital directly talking to insurance or insurance risk to insurance and securities. And that's a change because traditionally um, the way an investor would uh, participate is to participate and buy some stock for instance, in an insurance company or insurance company, and then let them to do the rest of the work. Now you can basically take a position in an ILS fund and you have direct exposure. And we see that uh, continue to, to uh, take place. And I think the really important thing for the capital markets is that they're looking for two things, yield that is decorrelated from capital markets movement. And insurance certainly can offer that. Next slide. So what's the proposition? Then uh, often people will say, and particularly Millennium, one of the charts on the um, bottom right hand side, will say that the, the perceived value of the insurance product is actually quite low. And if you look at the, uh, the, the value proposition or worth of a dollar of premium and the separation uh, between expenses, claims and so forth, you find that profitability can be uh, hard to get. And the insurance gap continues to be there. And one of the key challenges, which is that little blue uh, curve there at the bottom, uh, is for most businesses, particularly SMEs, the average cash cushion is about 27 days. And if an insurance policy pays you at the end of three months, then of course you have an issue. Next slide. Now, if we look at this quote from Greg, the CEO of Aon, you really are there thinking, well, now if you want to make a dent in the $26 billion of uh, um, uh, intangible assets, and the what will probably be about $6 trillion a year losses, declared losses by corporations around the world uh, attributable to cyber. Uh, last year was uh, uh, quite a chunky numbers, but you only have currently between five and $8 billion worth of premium. You're not even there in terms of the capacity that's deployed to on the, uh, to, uh, on the right. And that's the real opportunity for, for the segment and for the industry as a whole is to be able to grow into that. Next slide. So before we go to the answers, I'm going to ask you, whom do you think and what are the potential answer to those issues? Um, and is it uh, slightly tongue in cheek? Are we going to be uh, higher uh, a PR, release more reserves? Well, actually tell you what, uh, there's nothing to do because everything is okay. Let's go to the beach. Uh, is it deepened to access, uh, to access to capital markets or indeed creating new insurance products? 
Okay, well, folks, uh, again, off we go. Um, you've had a small hint that it's definitely not number one, Hire Better PR. And I can see uh, well over half the audience have voted, as ever, Henri. It's a very, it's a very fast crowd out here. Uh, I'm just going to close the poll then and uh, show you the results. So, access to capital or create new products, uh, overwhelmingly there. Back to you, Henri. Fantastic. Thank you very much. Well, you, you've already made my day. Thank you for the answers. I love it. So if we now move to the next slide, well, where is the deep market for for risk? Uh, all the other volatilities are currencies, interest rates and commodities have one, but risk doesn't have one. So well, how do we enable that? So next slide. Well, we're already working on standardizing and simplifying. So if you look at the traditional indemnity policies, Currently, a corporate uh, will buy anything between 50 to 200 policies a year and uh, go and ask their brokers uh, to guarantee no gaps and no overlap and good luck, I think, is the, the way to look at it. So by having a, a new type of simpler policy that looks at the corporation not as a stovepipe set of different risks, but historically of what they've done, and you can then go to the client and say, what if I could offer you 15, 20% uh, uh, savings on your premium? But because there's some degree of standardization on the capital side, what you also have is a better way to allocate the capital and therefore there's an increased capital efficiency. And so that's a very compelling way. But for today, really it's all about parametric insurance. So let's move on to the next slide. Now indemnity, if you think about it, is, and it's fair enough because it's their capital. The wording of the policy typically is to protect the exposure of the insurer or the reinsurer and to understand, for them to understand how much are they on the hook for if things go badly and then to optimize and, and make money. Parametric insurance is really there to be able to decouple that and say, look, there is a trigger. So the amount of rain, uh, my, uh, my cellar has a meter of water in it uh, or three feet or whatever it might be in whatever metrics. Uh, but in, in essence, is to have a lighthouse that everybody can look at the buyer and the seller and say that, that when that particular temperature is reached or something else has happened, there's a trigger that, that therefore pays me. And of course, at that point in time, there's something called basis risk that creeps in. But of course, the other side of that is basis chance. And when that index of parameters has been reached, then of course, it pays out. And then one of the items to note on this slide is, of course, Traditional insurance is only in insurance form, form contract format, but of course, parametric solutions can be done in insurance and derivatives. Next slide. So if we then compare the two, and this is a useful slide from, from TransRe, um, the, the key item to note in there, are uh, uh, it pays quickly versus traditional insurance where you need to uh, do the loss adjustment process and check that uh, the loss was actually incurred. And of course, because once the index has been selected or the trigger has been selected, it's essentially a third party uh, trigger. And that trigger therefore leads to a much lower uh, moral hazard uh, incurred. So you're not gonna say, well, actually my thing broke, uh, please, uh, please pay me, you, you have that third party check. But as is often the case, basis risk creeps in, and that really is the, the difference between the index measurement does not necessarily match the insured's uh, actual losses. And, and, and of course, if you then have an index like a wind index, which monitors wind uh, five miles away from where you live and your roof has been off, but the uh, uh, anemometer uh, is saying that there was no wind, then clearly you have a problem because you've incurred a loss. Conversely, if the 
the anemometer measures something very high and your roof is still on, then you have basis chance. So closing the gap is quite important. Um, next slide. And if we look at parametric insurance, and this is a slide from SCORE, it's already used in a lot of different uh, sectors. So you can really create a portfolio of decorrelated risk and be able to write up uh, write business at scale. Next slide. And that actually is uh, uh, being seen across multitudes of segments. Typically, uh, parametric insurance is only understood and seen as uh, uh, essentially as something for catastrophes, but that is no longer the case. Uh, as you can see here, there are a number of players across uh, from micro insurance, SMEs, all the way up to microscopic uh, catastrophes. And that is really because you have more models appearing but critically, and we'll make a difference uh, a little bit later on, you have actually far more sources of relevant data which close that basis risk very, very clearly. So models and data are very important. So if we look at the next slide, we'll look at what's, what we've learned so far. Well, the, the first thing is that basis risk can be managed and the product design uh, is, and the selection of the index, of course, therefore is important. Um, the second thing is more data, please, with a big exclamation mark at the back, particularly those which are very close to where the the risk actually lies. And, and it's no surprise to know that uh, Aon, for instance, last week reported a strong increase in demand for parametric insurance. It is a simple product. It is an understandable product. And it is something that you can essentially deploy with the clients at scale. And of course, the scope of uh, deployment to your clients is way beyond now uh, uh, what it used to be, which was natural catastrophe. You can do contingent business interruptions, so CBI there on the uh, on the uh, uh, the slide, and that offers you a path to more uh, uh, market depth, so more market interest, but also uh, more depth of market with liquidity. Next slide. So as we transition to the last part of the, uh, the presentation, which is really about data, here's the last poll for you uh, to answer and help me to uh, guide me to see whether or not I'm on the right uh, uh, wicket for the, the last part of the presentation. We've had a few comments about uh, what's impeding the market or how could it grow faster. So folks, again, your thoughts on what do you think is the best way to accelerate parametric insurance as well as closing basis risk? Over half the audience have voted in under under 12 seconds. That's pretty impressive, folks. Uh, almost the entire audience has voted, and uh, yep, we're up there. I'll now close the poll. Um, so data, data being uh, very much the, the heart of it, but uh, fairly even spread otherwise. So back to you, Henri. Thank you very much. So thank you all again. So if you go to the next slide. Uh, this is actually a data from AWS, and of course, AWS is all about data lakes, which is I, I have a ton of data, I analyze them in real time. But actually, this is really important because people will say, um, particularly for parametric insurance, people will say that a model, of course, is important, and and you can try to do a deterministic model, uh, uh, analyze everything from the ground up, and hope that you can basically have the right answer. The challenge very often is when you take that is by the time you've got the model is too late and the world has moved on. And, and therefore you find yourself with uh, always looking at what happened yesterday as opposed to what you would want to, to look at, which is what happens uh, tomorrow. And, and so having the right data to be able to get the information 
that is needed in a world that is more uh, with more dynamic risk is important. If you wanted to underwrite, for instance, let's say um, uh, this purest example restaurant today, looking at the last 50 years worth of data to say whether it's a good or bad risk would, would be interesting, but probably not that useful. But having the information on is there footfall around the restaurant today because there's lockdown? Uh, are they able? Uh, is there credit card activity in the restaurants around? I.e., are, uh, are people buying and then essentially they're having takeaway? Uh, the intent of people going out to restaurant with Google uh, intent data and open table information on the actual bookings would be far more useful. So next slide. So I'll try to, to walk you through this chart. So let's take that uh, example of uh, on, on the bottom left hand side. And in this particular instance, I'll use cyber. So let's say that I'm a small business. I'm being monitored. Uh, let's say is my website up, up or down? Um, and as a result, am I able to be able to some, uh, do some transactions? So there's a way to essentially monitor that. But the, so that's the in, the incoming uh, ability to do work, but also I can monitor in real time the, the, uh, the card, uh, credit card activity in your business. That allows me to create, let's call it a micro index. Now, the, the carriers today, as we saw earlier for uh, cyber risk, only address uh, probably one or two percent of the real challenge. So there is a, a huge amount of uh, room to grow in there. So you have lots of clients who basically are either uninsured and are looking for insurance or uninsured and blissfully unaware that they have a massive exposure. So today, the carrier will, of course, uh, which is the uh, the uh, yellow bar at the bottom, will go to the reinsurer throughout the annual or, or six monthly uh, uh, renewal process with the reinsurers. The reinsurers aggregate that risk. And of course, the reinsurers are scratching their heads thinking, well, yes, but if I've got five or six billion dollars worth of uh, cyber risk on my books, you know, if it re if it aggregates really badly, uh, then uh, I, I need to have a bigger friend. And the bigger friend, of course, is capital markets. But capital markets, of course, are going to deploy some capital without having some information and also without having some liquidity. And this is certainly where Akinova comes in. But if you look at the macro indices, it's an aggregation of the, the micro indices for, let's say, this, the segment of restaurant. Total insurable value of a restaurant in, in Leicester, where I live, is interesting. But actually having all the restaurants around the UK and the US gives you a total insurable value of meaningful size. And that really is far more important uh, in terms of uh, what you really want to achieve. And so that allows the capital to be able to look at that, those macro indices and be able to say whether or not they're interested uh, as a whole in all these restaurants in the UK and, and in the US. And also in real time, it allows them to tell them whether or not something happens. And of course, different uh, businesses will respond to different issues in different uh, geographies differently. And the beauty from uh, a cyber risk standpoint, so even, uh, so we did some cloud um, uh, products with uh, Hiscox and, and Guy Carpenter uh, last year. Um, if you look at the way, for instance, cloud, where we talk, well, what if the cloud falls over? The reality is the, the cloud doesn't fall over in one shot. It, it is organized by zones with different vendors. Uh, and therefore you have actually also a way to create a portfolio. And that requires the data, which are monitoring uh, those uh, cloud architectures but also to monitor the businesses. And in that way, you can go from micro index to macro index. You can go from a very small amount of total insurable value where the client is being looked after by the carriers in a normal way, but you can add some capacity uh, in concert with the reinsurers to be able to underwrite more. Next slide. 
And let's take an example, of course, which is close to our heart, which is called a reinsurance business, the insurance business in the world of the pandemic. If I now monitor the same restaurant uh, and I have an ability to monitor the uh, card activity in the zip code or in the postcode right around that uh, business to have a bit more of a sample than just a sample of one. Clearly, if you have a bad chef in the restaurant and your restaurant is down because of that, you want to monitor that versus a few other restaurants in the same areas. And that card activity can be monitored across multitudes of geographies and are uh, aggregated into the same macro index that uh, you have on the top right hand side. Then you can also, from a capital market standpoint, look at whether it's aerospace, whether it's a restaurant, whether it's entertainment or whatever it might be, uh, hotels and others. Now, of course, for an insurer, uh, for the insurer, the, the business, I want to be paid quickly. So you can create a double trigger if the local official says, well, actually, it's, there is lockdown. And on top of that, your bookings and on top of that, your actual uh, takings are down as measured in real time by, let's say, more than 75 percent. You have a payout. You don't have to wait for three months to actually verify and do the forensics accounting. Now, of course, that goes into uh, as gross room premium into the, the insurer or the reinsurer. And they, of course, would like to make sure that as they grow the business, they don't accumulate the risks. And of course, as we know in pandemics, the critical issue, whether you call it pandemic re uh, or any recovery re or any other acronym that you would want to think of it, is there needs to be some uh, sort of uh, government backing. But by putting this structure in place, you can put the government backing are more remote from the underlying risk by having a slice of this being taken by insurance and by capital markets. And secondly, you can also have an industry uh, which tends to ask questions from the businesses uh, that they provide insurance cover for and therefore raises the game in terms of risk management for those businesses. So you actually have an industry that was designed to actually do uh, risk transfer to actually have the clients inserted. And so in that way, you can create capacity which is needed and not just go through the banking sector as uh, was uh, done throughout the pandemic to uh, make businesses uh, whole uh, through lending structure. And then the final thing, of course, is uh, the repayment is done through premium as opposed to taxation or other methods that we will see over the next few years. So uh, with that, I will conclude uh, and go to the next slide and then we'll move to the Q&A. Thank you. Well, absolutely super, Henri, and frankly, the board is lit up with questions, so we'll, we'll get cracking if we can. Um, you, you ended in your last two slides on uh, the role of capital, and Charles Vermont is curious, who will you get to risk their capital when there is as yet no evidence uh, that the insurance or reinsurance models are working accurately, you know, particularly for some new classes? So, so I think those who are, are far closer to, to the actual data, so there are several ways of uh, modeling a, a risk. You can basically say, I'm going to, from the ground up, take all the various risks, aggregate them in a big model, run the model and tell you what the expected loss and, uh, and so forth. And of course, that's needed. But actually, if you have an index, so think of VIX. VIX is an aggregation of an underlying set of uh, data coming from a, a variety of parties. And then it allows people to trade contracts based on VIX only. Now, I'm not saying that uh, you need to have exactly the same thing uh, uh, for, for insurance or reinsurance, but in essence, if you have a way of tracking the risks that you're going against and you have a way to create that index, let's come back to, for instance, uh, uh, a credit card activity in a zip code, which is totally doable today, and you can monitor that in real time, 
I can tell you, you can do some really interesting things with that. Uh, you don't need to model anything. All you need to have is five years of data uh, for a particular geography. And you can monitor in real time, for instance, a hurricane uh, in Florida. You can see people going to shops. The activity goes up. Uh, then uh, when the hurricane is there and you have a shelter in home uh, or you basically have please leave, uh, then you see no economic activity in the area. And then if there's no economic activity in the area for the following week, I can tell you usually it's because there's a huge amount of damage. So immediately you can create some products. And then the more granular the data you have, I mean, you can monitor literally down to the one business all the way up to uh, the local zip code, which is typically a little bit better. You can create some products which immediately gives you comfort because these are companies providing the data, which have some people would say more data than God. I'm not quite sure that's true but they certainly have a ton of data and those data can be summarized in an index and you can trade off that. Well, the audience has certainly picked up very strongly on the data point. Trevor Hilder makes a, an interesting point that in order to obtain data, you have to have a model. Otherwise, the data is meaningless uh, and you do have a model even if you don't know it. You, you do have these sort of implicit models in mind. Uh, he also uh, ponders whether or not you want to be writing these types of policies as a distributed ledger technology smart contract or something. Um, but I'd like to move, if I could, um, uh, onto a point about the data that Bob McDowell makes. Do these indices require some form of regulation or independent oversight? And we did, of course, you, you'll know, Henri, we had the discussion six or seven years ago with ESMA trying to bring uh, various indices, uh, largely uh, motivated by the LIBOR scandals, uh, but to bring these indices into uh, regulation on the capital market side. What about the insurance side? I think you need, uh, it, it is important not to introduce moral hazards to the index. Uh, a good index is one that will, particularly for parametric insurance, be close enough to the risk so you don't have a massive basis risk or basis chance. But on the other side, that there's a third party umpire. So some of the trades are that we've seen uh, and, and performed, uh, there is a third party umpire that monitors the index and uh, is neither the uh, the broker, the buyer, or the seller. It's a true third party that basically says the event happened or didn't. Um, and the quality of the underlying. Could you name a firm or two that do this? So, yes. Yeah, so, if you think, for instance, that uh, a PCS, a division of various, do that. Uh, some law firms do that as well. Um, so, they, they, they look basically at the index. Uh, and say whether it happened or not, particularly when you're very close to a trigger uh, to say whether or not it happened or not. Um, and then mostly it is also important for the capital market players to have typically three to five years worth of history, because then you can understand, you create your model of what the index, uh, how it behaves. And then the, the final piece is that they, they should be a recipe to say how the index was created. Black boxes typically are more challenging for capital to, to want to play, but they want to be, Typically, they, they don't want to recreate it. What they want is an institution that will be there for the long term uh, with a clear way the way the index was created. So, for instance, if you look at uh, uh, some indices for mortgages and so forth in the UK, have been going around for 20 to 40 years, uh, and it's very clear how they assembled. Typically, they end up by being with a firm like uh, IHS Market or otherwise. You, um, you, you closed with cyber as sort of an example, and Madhu Acharya is curious, what's the possibility of parametric insurance for large-scale cyber risk? You know, is it imminent or is it going to take you know, another five or 10 years, as you indicated, to, to build up the data? 
So, so we are we already uh, had the privilege of uh, performing some of those with uh, with uh, Hiscox and uh, Gary Carpenter and others uh, over the last uh, 12, 13 months. Uh, so the, ind the indices exist. Uh, if you know where to look, there are uh, typically government agencies which have been reporting certain standards for the last five to 15 years. Uh, so you can you have actually good data available there. Um, and uh, so you can create trigger events. So cloud, for instance, uh, we've done uh, cloud coverage, as I said earlier. People tend to think of some sort of doom scenario that the whole cloud falls over. Uh, typically, if the whole cloud falls over, it's because there's no power and no power, no cloud, no internet usually. Uh, but cloud is organized by regions, uh, by different vendors. And so you have actually, you can create a diversified portfolio. Um, we've done uh, cyber uh, hacking of power generation of the grid in the US of uh, uh, government uh, index. Uh, and then, of course, as you well know, uh, Michael also has uh, an index monitoring websites, which allows you to have a trigger event uh, uh, more for the insured the SMEs, for instance, and be able to create uh, a product there. So I think the products are there. Uh, I think what you need to get is that comfort that this can be meaningful and that through diversification, like any portfolio of risk, at the start, the rate of return that you expect on one one risk is much higher than once you've got a portfolio of diversified risk. So the challenge is not really the indices nor the actual policies themselves, is how do you start as a capital provider that you don't ask for 20% return and the client expects to pay only 2% rate online for the insurance policy. You mentioned uh, moral hazard quite rightly uh, in this context. Uh, Ian Harris says, comparing parametric insurance with clubs and mutuals in my mind, clubs and mutual approaches reduce moral hazard and promote good practice through, through the club rules. How do you manage moral hazard and encourage good practice in a parametric insurance model? So a parametric uh, assumes that the rules of the game have been defined at the start, i.e. Uh, if you uh, play a tennis match and the ball is out of the court, then it clearly you, you, you basically lost that particular point. Um, what you can't say is, well, yes, but the wording was saying that if a hair of the ball appears to be touching the line, which is what you have in indemnity, uh, and then therefore that's why you pay umpires for to actually be able to learn, then you have eagle eyes and electronics to be able to tell you if it was in and out. But, but in essence, parametric with the right selection of the parameter allows you to have a very low moral hazard because rules have been defined at the start and it's really look at the index say was it 55 or 56 and if 56 you you have a payout if it's 55 you don't um and so the the moral hazard is much lower the, the key is in the advice that you have in the conversation we have with the client so you, you do need someone uh to to have that no different to any insurance policy to tell you Right. If I now have a flood measure, measuring gauge, which is 25 miles away on a hill from you, and you're out next to a river, I mean, you don't need to be a rocket scientist to work out that your risk is much higher than what the index would tell you. So being able to bring the index uh, close to where you are and having the trigger for something that's meaningful to you is important. But in that way, you've crossed the, crossed the moral hazard. Um We've got quite a few climate change related questions. I'm going to try and bundle them up because I don't, I've got quite a few questions to go as well. Um, so Andrew Ross is curious about how will this apply to climate change as a systemic risk, uh, perhaps valuing regional insurance investment in municipal bonds. Um, got a question really uh, from Mike Clark, which I think is probably the one I'd like you to answer, which is 
Her Majesty Treasury's net zero review focuses on mitigation and excludes the cost of climate adaptation. So we citizens and companies bear those risks, not the state. Uh, what's your solution? Is it, is it very much in, in this space? Um, and uh, I'll leave it at that if I can. Sure. I think the, the, the challenge is in that particular space is that very often, yes, there are big uh, gathering COP20, you know, uh, uh, and, and, and basically uh, people gathering, getting together and, and essentially getting uh, solutions uh, which are, are trying to transfer risk from one place to another. But it's really point to point still at this point. What I think is missing is um, the uh, the aggregation of all these various players on an environment where they can basically trade some more standardized uh, products uh, and, and therefore create a risk diversification more globally, but not exclusively at the balance sheet level of an insurer or reinsurer, which is very specific to them, but more an ability to transfer the risk between governments more than the process are in, in an easier way than the process that there is now. So let me give an example. If you have a certain set of, uh, of temperatures, what's the impact on, uh, on security? So the investment side of the, the insurance companies is interesting, but actually what's the impact on the country to another country, uh, Indonesia versus, for instance, the UK? Uh, it's always point-to-point activity. It should be really uh, concentrated in one, one area to, to give more depth and more diversification for investors. Okay. Um, there are a couple of questions here. Mike Clark touches on what's the role of the state versus some kind of central risk organization government. Uh, Bob McDowell is curious about the role you think government should play, if any, as catalyst to growth of the insurance market. So there's a lot of people curious about what you think government might do to help the sector grow. But um, I think I'd just like to touch on Alan Punter, who congratulates you on a great presentation. He says, I believe completely in the theory of parametric insurance. But what are the main impediments to further development? So adding government in, is it demand? Uh, corporate buyers should value prompt cash settlement. Is it supply? Uh, can par- parametric products fit into existing taxation, regulatory reinsurance and other environments? So what are the impediments and is government related to them? So, so I'll start by the impediments. Um, uh, when there's something new and it's a financial product, you need to have people who know how to sell the financial product to uh, and sell it properly, of course, no mis-selling. Uh, to, to the end client who are insurers. Um, and, and that is one element of the equation. Uh, in insurance, no premium, no business. Uh, and of course, no capacity, no underwriting. So I'll always start from where is the cash and of course, is where is the premium. Um, so I think there's an element of that is uh, brokers, uh, because of history, of course, are more used to sell indemnity products. Uh, and therefore, there is and then, of course, there is that comfort that you go to a client and say, please sign this piece of paper here and tell you what, most of the problems have gone away. Uh, and then, of course, when there's an issue, he's my lawyer uh, if I want to overeg the pudding to, to make the point there. Um, in parametric, you need to think a little bit as to what index is going to be uh, moving the, uh, the, the dial. So there's a bit of advisory. The second piece, I would say, is better data. Yes, model, as I said, are important, but actually better data with history which allow you to create a view of a trigger that you know how the trigger would behave. And then the third point from a capital standpoint is, of course, is having the history. Who wants to be the first dollar to underwrite a piece of capacity if you are the first one to potentially have a loss or uh, have a gain? Uh, So there's a certain element of having the right risk reward equation for the investors 
And if I look at the final piece, which is what's the uh, government's role, uh, so for instance, the, the growth of our cyber, Michael, you, you mentioned uh, just before, uh, if you look, for instance, at uh, the uh, uh, the governments um, and the institutions in the US, uh, which is also uh, moving in the same direction in the UK, for banks uh, and banking-related uh, institution, there is now a requirement within a very short amount of hours for, uh, and, and that requirement is uh, potentially going to, to law, for uh, a major cyber hack to be immediately disclosed as a disclosable item to investors as opposed to I'll go and solve the problem and I might tell you in three months time what happened. Um, and uh, there is actually evidence, there was a paper research that was done over, over the last few weeks, which actually shows that on some of the major hacks there was inside trading with options and derivative to try to mouse the activity uh, before the hack was actually disclosed to the institution. So governments and regulators to actually say, you, you need to put your best foot forward, which then forces immediately the, the quick payment, then drives essentially simple product like parametrics. Mm. <clears throat> Actually, Henri, uh, that, that, that comes uh, really nicely with two items. Um, the first is that we've seen, um, and you emphasized in the warm-up um, call, that it's the, uh, the need really to make sure that the data really fits the situation that you face because it's a general index and how does it relate to you. Uh, you've got the investor, of course, wanting the index to, to suit their investment uh, profile. And, and this leads potentially to data gaps. Um, but what you just touched on is something where Mike Clark is kind of interested is your view, for example, on the FCA led litigation regarding policy wording and uh, COVID risk insurer liability on, on pandemics. So, you know, is this an area where government is likely to come in and uh, effectively uh, post hoc uh, make, make sure that coverage is there, uh, even if it wasn't what was intended at the time? So what, what does that mean for parametric insurance? So so if I start from one of the, the pieces are uh, doing the presentation, which shows that the average, the, uh, the cash buffer of most SMEs is 27 days and the, the tail end of that is 60 odd days. So it's not a huge amount. So being parametric and saying if the local official says you close and your degree of turnover is more than 75% uh, than what it used to be on average the last five years. And then I compare that with the, uh, let's say, the local postcode uh, to limit uh, any effects due to specific your businesses, like maybe someone drilled a massive hole in front of the office and you can't get in, um, then allows you to do uh, non-physical damage business interruption with a very quick payment. Now, uh, the way governments, I would suspect, is going to go about this is the insurance industry and reinsurance industry has not offered really solutions. The solutions which were there before the pandemic turned up, nobody was buying them. And now there's a whole queue, lots of demand, but not, not enough capital, as is always the case. Right. So so the, the point now is to create the solution for the future. What we believe is that it's going to be parametric for the businesses because it pays quickly. You have a wealth of data to say whether or not there was some gaming the system or not you'll have a, a, an increase of the risk awareness of these small businesses. And on the other side, the government is probably not going to force people to pay because that would be looked as a tax, but potentially say, if you haven't bought into that sort of cheap insurance, then good luck, uh, but we don't force you. Uh, but if you do buy it, then of course, you're part of that program with government backing. And the last one, and I'm afraid time will have to be brief, but uh, Bob McDowell and Bob's dialing in from the Channel Islands, so he has a he has an interest and knowledge of this. 
How would you position the growth of both self-insurance and captive insurance in your in your uh, proposition for parametric insurance? I think they're very important. Uh, captives typically are very conservative, uh, but we're certainly already working with captives who uh, basically uh, have had enough of having some complicated uh, uh, policies uh, and uh, also need to be able to reduce the amount of capital that they have in their captives and having a solution to trade arm's length with other firms with similar risks, but in different geographies, uh, I think is highly attractive uh, with simple wording. So there are clear triggers and that allows all the captives to reduce the capital intensity and their reserving because essentially they can transfer and create a market with other captives and, and, and insurers and reinsurers, of course, have additional capacity. Great. Well, Henri, it's been a very vibrant presentation and uh, it's not exactly been the largest of audiences, although quite sizable. But more interestingly, um, it's generated so much interest amongst the audience. And I will be passing on to you the comments and questions so you can get back to people individually if you like. Uh, as mentioned before, folks, things will be online uh, quite soon. If you'll just bear with me, I've really got three uh, rounds of thanks to do. Uh, my first round of thanks is very, very much uh, to our sponsors who are extremely kind in letting us range widely and freely uh, across, as I say, technology, economics, and finance. And today, Henri has uh, really brought a financial perspective and an economic perspective, but also applying this to technical risks such as cyber is certainly a real possibility. I'd like to thank you, the audience. You've been super today, uh, but very, very, uh, very much leading uh, our presenter uh, down paths. He definitely wanted to go down anyway. Uh, and I'd like to uh, thank thank you very much for listening and remind you of the forthcoming uh, events uh, in the following week. Uh, we've got a, a session tomorrow on digital identity, very intriguing MasterCard's new look at effectively global private identity uh, and services that they're providing in that space. As ever, everything else is on the website. Uh, Henri, uh, I'm afraid in these days of COVID and uh, lockdown, I'm unable to open the floodgates of applause, but I can tell it was out there. I could tell it was out there just in the way that people snapped up your poll questions. But I have brought my Korean karmic clapper, which is my device for providing you with audience applause. Uh, and I'd like to thank you very much uh, for your contribution today. And we hope to stay in touch.